This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture reading will be from Luke 4, chapter 1 to 21. For those at home and those here, uh, you can see it on the screen in front of us. Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to test. Then the devil had finished all his temptation. He left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scrolls of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Again, once again, welcome everyone. It's such a joy and privilege that we can open up the Bible with God's people. It's a privilege we don't take for granted because um, it is a time that we can gather. It's a time we can give thanks to God. I hope you have your Bible with you. If not, if you have your phone, you can on to Google and search for Luke 4, because I'll be looking at the passage quite closely, but it will not be on the screen. Let's pray together. Oh dear God, we thank you this morning, this afternoon, that we can gather. We pray for your Holy Spirit that you will work in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, in our hands, that we can hear you, we can understand you, and we have the strength to respond to you. Please be with us in this moment. And help our minds be drawn close to you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I will turn 
around and find. I'm lost in the woods. North is south, right is left. When you're gone, I'm the one who sees you home, but now I'm lost in the woods. I don't know what path you're on. I am lost in the woods. But anybody love this song? 25 million views just on one slide. Well, Christoph in Frozen 2 sang this song. It was a moment when Christoph felt totally and absolutely lost because Anna was not with him. Have you ever lost your way? Perhaps on a road trip or hiking trip. Now, once my family was taking a walk in the woods when we were back in Perth and we were totally unprepared. We went there, the water was great. We went in, we had just a small little bit of water and no food. And before we know it, the water bottles ran dry, the kids were exhausted, and the exit was not in sight. We didn't even know how long before we can actually get out of the woods. And people walked past us, they waved happily, and they just walked off and were like, where did it come from? Have you ever lost your way? Perhaps in your work, you started with enthusiasm in your first job along the way, you felt midlife crisis appearing and you want to change the job just to get out of the lostness that you feel. Or as a student, at some point you lose your way and why are you here studying? Now, I was quite shocked 10 years ago when I read the news of the late actor Robin Williams. You, you might not know him. He's a great uh, actor, a man who makes everybody laugh until he committed suicide. Have we ever lost our way when taking this journey called life? Perhaps along the way, we may find that we have lost life's direction, sometimes purpose, passion, enjoyment, reasons. Perhaps even for young people, we find ourselves lost in the moral compass whenever we face challenges or temptations. In fact, the Bible tells us at the very beginning, humans, we have lost our way. We have lost our relationship with God. We have lost our ability for perfect moral response. We have lost perfect relationship. In fact, we have lost eternal life. Well, this morning, we're very glad. In the morning, we actually had two baptism of our two sisters. It It was great because it was their profession of their faith in Jesus Christ and being in the body of Christ. And it was a reminder for the rest of us who have professed that we too have trusted in Jesus, the Son of God, to come and bring us back to God. But can we say this? All that we receive, if you're a Christian, didn't come free and didn't come easy. It totally depends on whether Jesus, the Son of God, would not lose his way when he came to save us. It may sound surprising to you, but as you look at Luke 4, you'll get where I'm going. So I'm going to begin by reading Luke chapter 4, verse 1 onwards. If you have a Bible, you can read with me. If not, you can listen as I read from Luke chapter 4, verse 1. This is what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was very hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God. Now, for those of us who are here for the first time, because you you have just visited us, let me give us a quick recap of Luke that we have covered so far. 
Last week we read how the heavens open at the baptism of Jesus and the heavenly voice says, you are my son. And right, one verse and two verses before today's chapter, we read the genealogy of Jesus and he is the son of Adam, the son of God. In fact, Jesus himself, when he was 12, right at chapter 2, this was what happened. He and his physical parents on earth were separated and they looked for him for three days. They were desperate to find him. And when they finally found him in the temple, his mom was shocked, where have you been? And Jesus gave the most amazing reply that he wasn't lost. He said to his mom, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know I have to be in my father's home? Any child would not have gotten away with that, but Jesus did because he is the son of God and that's what he identified. So the big question as we come to Luke chapter 4 today is not merely if Jesus is the son of God, but what kind of son of God is Jesus? Will Jesus in coming for you and for me lose his way or will he be able to lead us home now in the bible there have been many who have been identified as the sons of god adam was the first man right the son of god israel was the nation called the son of god all the great kings after david were symbolically called the sons of god because they were meant to lead creation they were meant to lead people they were meant to lead nations back to God, and they all failed. All the sons of God have failed up to this point. Will Jesus be like Adam, the son of God who failed despite being the perfect garden of Eden? Will Jesus be like Israel, the son of God who failed in the wilderness despite having seen the Red Sea parted, despite eating from God's very own hand? What kind of son of God would Jesus be as he begins his ministry? Well, this is what happens. Right after the baptism, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, He did not set a large green garden for Jesus to kind of chill there and think about His life and what kind of son He's going to be. The Holy Spirit didn't give Him this full backpack of manna so that He can go for His hiking and eat when He's hungry. No, He was sent right into the wilderness where Jesus would reveal the kind of son of God He will be in His ministry. Now, if you recognize, as you read, he was there for 40 days and there were many temptations and trials, but we are given three, and these three are important for us. So come with me to the first temptation in verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. A man who has not eaten for 40 days, he was starving at this point. But you know what? This is not a temptation for me. Because I could swallow the stones whole and they will still be stones. The issue is Jesus can turn the stones into bread. The question is, will he do it? Seems to be legitimate that he is hungry. It seems too innocent and harmless. In fact, this is what the devil is suggesting. Hey, the God who claims to love you, baptism, he forgot to give you bread on your journey. If you are the Son of God, do something about it. Perhaps that is why you have power. To that, Jesus replied to the devil, saying in Luke 4.3, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now, I want us to think, why 
was Jesus saying this? What is Jesus dealing with in this temptation? Now, in quoting Deuteronomy 8, Jesus is bringing back the original wilderness account in the days of Moses where God rescued Israel from Egypt. Deuteronomy 8, which Jesus quoted, the devil speaks of how God had, in fact, afflicted Israel, caused them to be hungry, and then he feeds them with the heavenly bread with manna. And the Israelites are not able to collect manna for the whole week. They can only do it once a day. And they have to trust tomorrow the bread is going to come again. No matter how capable they are, they realize that in the wilderness, they are not depending on the bread. They are depending on the will of God to provide the bread. It is not the bread that kept Israel the Son of God alive, it is God's will that actually keeps them alive. Now, just imagine if you're in a hospital and you do need injections every day and you can't do it at home, you can't just tell the doctor, hey, you know, just give me 10, 10 doses of it and I'll deal with it. You, you, you have to depend that every day you will be given that to sustain you. So here's the reality. It's not the bread that keeps Israel alive, but it is God's will that the bread is given to them to live another day. So the issue here is not bread versus word, but it's a recognition that the word provided the bread. So Jesus, in quoting, man should not live by bread alone, declares that he is going to depend on God's provision to provide the right timing. And unlike Adam, unlike Israel, Jesus, son of God, he will trust God's provision at God's pace, in God's space, in God's timing. Now, Jesus refused to get lost in self-preservation or self-satisfaction. Now, you want to ask, why is this so important? Why is this so important for Jesus? Why is it so important to us that Jesus does this? Now, I want to paint you another picture. What is going to stop Jesus? If here he is hungry for self-preservation, he makes bread. What is going to stop Jesus at the end of the gospel when it comes for him that he will get 12 legions of angels to stop death and the cross from coming. Can he do it? And Jesus said he can. That if I were to just ask, it will come. You see how crucial it is at this point that he chose not self-preservation but God's provision. Because if he doesn't do it now, at the end of the gospel, you realize that there's nothing for you and me. It's an emptiness because there is no cross. What kind of son of God is Jesus? He is the one who trusts God's provision, God's will, regardless of the situation. Now, right away, the devil came, and here is the second temptation. If the first is on God's provision, the second is on God's power for the son of God. Read with me verse 5 if you have your Bible or listen to this. Verse 5, it says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, Jesus and the devil, they both knew what's happening. Jesus is here to establish his kingdom. The devil knows that as well. But here's the devil as he shows Jesus somehow all nations and the kingdoms of the world. What he's saying to Jesus is this, Hey, pretty unreasonable for your dad to ask you 
to walk this really tough path. If this is your start and you're starving for 40 days, what is it going to take for you to get the kingdom? You know that God, the God who said to the Son of God, or the Son of Man in Psalm 2, ask me and I'll give you the nations, your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. That's what he said to you, but look, this is odious, this is difficult, and this is unnecessary that you take this path. Why stamp on me and let me strike your heel? You know what you can do? Just bow down to me. You take the escalator right up to the kingdom. You have it. I give it to you. Turn away from Psalm 2. Come to me. I give it to you. You can have a kingdom. But Jesus, verse 8, he answered the devil. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's the question. What kind of son of God will Jesus be? In quoting Deuteronomy, again, Jesus declares he will be the son who walks the path of righteousness, the path of faith, and the path of God. He will get his kingdom by worshipping God and serving him only. Because here's the reality. Back in chapter 3, when Jesus baptized himself in the water, it wasn't because he was a sinner. Jesus baptized to identify with sinners like us, so that when we baptize within him, we get the benefit of what he has achieved. Which means that he has to take the path that we can't take to save us and give us the things that we can't have. And so he will not bow down. Again, you ask, why is this crucial? Can you imagine with me, if Jesus had bowed down and got a kingdom, what kind of kingdom will you have when you rise up at your baptism? Which kingdom are you entering into? It's not one that you want to be in. And so Jesus will have to take the path because he has chosen it along with us at his baptism. What kind of son of God is Jesus? He's one who keeps God's path, worship and serve him alone. He does this so that those who are lost in the woods, in the spiritual sense, will find God again. Now finally, the third temptation was on God's protection. Look with me to verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now here's the final temptation, and it's a really serious one, because this time around, the devil quotes the scriptures, and he quotes it wrong. The passage that comes in was a declaration of people of faith, not a sign to test. Imagine you're, you're a lady and you've got a suitor who says, you know, I love you so much, I'm, going to, I'm willing to die for you and jump down the bridge. And you say, hey, you climb up, you jump down and show me. You know what she's just done? She's, she's not trusting of what he said. She's asking him to prove his word. So, when Jesus was brought up to the, the top of the mountain, uh, the, the temple to, to jump, some commentators say it is the devil's temptation for Jesus to jump down and show his great power to the world and everyone believes in him. It is not so. It is not a show of power, but it's a forcing of God's hand to move. And that's what the devil says. And we know in our own life as well, the devil is really good with calibrated questions. Remember the first one with the first woman? 
did God really say? Very calibrated, very intentional, as men to doubt God. Now someone says, faith is not testing God. In a commentary, someone said this, is, is it faith to jump off the wing of the temple complex? As you jump down, you close your eyes and you say, I believe in Psalm 91 as you go down. That is not called faith. So Jesus replied with Deuteronomy again. He said, do not put the Lord your God to test. So unlike Adam, unlike Israel, Jesus did not lose his way as the Son of God. Instead, he revealed himself as the promised, the anointed Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, who is capable to bring people back to God. But dear friends, the Bible tells us we have lost our way to God. The Bible also promised the anointed Son of God will bring us back. And so the victory of Jesus in this wilderness trials or temptation is to show that he stands firm where the sons of God, like Adam, has failed. It's assurance that if Jesus did not lose his way, we will be able to find our way back to God. In fact, Christ will find us and bring us back. So what will Jesus do next? He will declare his mission, his manifesto, as we put it, right in the same passage. And right after this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, verse 14. And we shall see this narrative of Jesus having returned in victory to declare his manifesto or his mission. And here it is, if you have your Bible, if you look at 14 to 21, here's the narrative as I retell it for us. We're told Jesus, when he returned in power, news spread about him. Jesus began his ministry by teaching in synagogues. That's what he has said he was going to do in earlier chapters, verse 15. Then one day, Jesus went to the synagogue of his hometown. Went to the synagogue on Sabbath in Nazareth. And at this day, it happens that they are reading, they are reading the prophet Isaiah. It was not known that there's such a thing called liturgy back then that you have to read a specific one. So they gave you the whole scroll and you choose to read. So apparently Jesus has been teaching around and they got him to read. And there Jesus took this big Isaiah scroll is one of the huge, biggest ones. And he scrolled for a really long time until he reached where we now call chapter 61. Oh, back then, there's no chapter, but he was spinning it for a long time. And we reached 61. This is what he says in Luke 4.18. This is from Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And with that, Jesus just stopped reading. He turned the scroll, handed it back, he sat down, all the eyes were on him. And then Jesus declared, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now you could hear the pin drop at a point. Because just imagine, I was just coming up and you're happily listening to me read the Bible and then I'll read the passage and then I'll say to you, today, let me tell you, I am the fulfillment. You know what I'm going to do? I hope there's a third staircase here so I'm going to run off because you're going to throw me off the building and that's exactly what happened to Jesus, that they want to throw him off the cliff. But what is Jesus saying exactly? What is he declaring? According to Isaiah 61, in part of 58, this prophecy 
It's about an anointed one who has come to the people in distress, who are poor, who are prisoners, who are blind, who are oppressed. See if you can spot the repeated words in Isaiah or in um, Luke 4, 18, 19. Can you see the repeated word? What is it? The word is proclaim, right? Proclaim the good news. Proclaim freedom. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does it mean for Jesus when he says, I'm here to proclaim all this and to fulfill all this? Now, let's take a look at this tree briefly to proclaim the good news. Well, for sure, one thing, Jesus did not come for cultural mandate, as some people would think. He's come to, to, to feed the world, to bring equality. That's not what Jesus came to do, although he has fed thousands, and he is the one who cares for the poor, for the widow, for the ignored, for the lepers. No, Jesus didn't come to sing, heal the world and make it a better place for you and for me and whoever else. Rather, Jesus came to those who are poor before God, whether they are kings or CEOs or paupers or workers. Jesus came for all who recognize that they have nothing to bring before God. I'm going to ask you to pause for a moment and think of your life. Just think with me for this moment. Is there anything in your life you can actually present to God to show your worth? You can, you can do plenty of that to other people. I want to ask, is there anything in your life that you can actually bring to God to present your worth? Anything you can bring to God to hide your sins? Jesus says, those who recognize that they are bankrupt and poor before God, I tell you, this is good news, and this news is for you. It comes for those who are spiritually poor, in fact, those who are spiritually dead, to bring us the heavenly riches. Dear friends, is this something that you recognize and I recognize? If not, then probably this news is not great, but if it is, then this is the best news you can ever get in this life. He moves on, proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Again, we can be sure Jesus is not talking about a physical revolution where he rushed to the prisons and he break the chains and get prisoners out and then he run for hurrah. Because here's what, his favorite man, John the baptizer, who baptized him, is now stuck in prison and he's going to die in prison. And Jesus himself is going to die on the cross. So he's not here. Even the man next to Jesus is going to die on the cross as well. He's not here to set physical prisoners free. But he's here to set those who are imprisoned by sin, by shame, by death. He came to recover the sight of our spiritual blindness, those who are spiritually oppressed, those who are suffocating in your soul. Jesus says, I'm here to set you free. Now here's another thing about Adam's failure as the son of God. The day when Adam sinned and lost his eternal capacity for eternal life, he no longer has the capacity to fully take charge of the world because the world now stands waiting to drink his blood and to feed on his ashes. doesn't matter how many hundred years he lives, is there and since then this earth weighs upon those who are newly born, waiting for them to eventually die, and all of us in between, to drink the blood and to drink and to eat the flesh. And the soil can take all the blood it wants. There is no freedom. 
since the first son of man falls. But in Jesus, this whole thing is going to be turned upside down because Jesus also promised those who are spiritually alive, even if you are to die physically, we will rise again physically. The soil cannot eat the second resurrection, the, the, the resurrection that we will have in Christ. And so this brings us to Jesus' claim that indeed he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and it will be accomplished. It will be totally fulfilled in the consummation when he returns, but it has happened when he arrived as well. Now, some people say, hey, this is great. Others people say, hey, let me think about it. You know what? The rest of the Luke chapter 4 is about people's response to Jesus. We'll look at it more in the coming weeks as we unpack Luke. But I just want to close this time with a glimpse of the early ministry of Jesus and the response of the people. We'll look into greater details in the coming weeks. But I want to set the stage for us as you think about the response of Jesus in the rest of Luke 4 and the rest of the chapters. And it's not simply people respond whether Jesus is the Son of God, but it's rather a revelation of the hearts of men. I want to bring to you a passage that you have already read two weeks back. The words that Simeon, the godly man, said about Jesus. I want to bring that to you as we think about the response of men. Okay, I'm going to read this to you. Your Bible, you can flip with me. This is from Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, This child, referring to Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken again so that the thoughts of many hearts will be reviewed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Now as we read through the rest of Luke and examine our own hearts, we do not just ask who is Jesus, but the question is, what's going on in our hearts? Who do we say he is to us? So we're going to close briefly by just looking at a few responses in the rest of chapter 4. Um, Ashley didn't read it for us for time, but uh, you can look at it with me if you have your Bible. He had a few responses. First, we read about the clear rejection of Jesus in 22 to 30. The people, yes, they were astonished by the graciousness of Jesus, but they quickly turned against him because familiarity breeds contempt. Isn't this the carpenter's son? They could take a lesser man to be a greater person, but they can't take a man born among them in humility to be the son of God. But isn't that what we learned back in chapter 1? It was God's intention that the son of man, the son of God, has to be born in the most spiritually broken place to bring the spiritually broken back to God. The attempt to throw Jesus off the cliff, verse 29, actually sounds the ominous music of what will come at the end that Simeon has predicted. The mob will cry away with this man. In Luke 23, 18. Next we read about the amazement of Jesus in 36, 37, because his words carry such authority, even demons were afraid of Jesus and they ran off. We read about the serving of Jesus here we have another lady, Simon's mother-in-law, who was healed immediately and she stood up and waited upon the Lord. We hear of people who are desperate. In their desperation, they come to Jesus in 40, 41. Now here's the thing. Everyone is so burdened by the law. 
Sabbath, nobody dared to move. But the moment the sun was setting and Sabbath was over, everyone rushed out of the sick, the demon-possessed coming to Jesus, just as the clock ticks and Sabbath was over. There was this great desperation. We read of the desire to control Jesus, 42. Now that they have seen and tasted the miracles of Jesus, what they wanted was not Jesus. What they wanted was a miracle doctor. And so they want to retain Jesus, 42. And then, of course, we read the alternative groups. We read of the demons terrified and testify about Jesus. Again, what man would not say, the devil said. You are the Holy One of God, verse 34. You are the Son of God, 41. But then Jesus would silence them. Why so? The reason is this. The day when he did not bow down to worship the devil, the day he would not take the testimony of anyone else. So the only way for us to know Jesus, the Son of God, is to hear from scriptures, to hear from his own testimony, his own words, what kind of a Son of God is Jesus and not anyone else. So they need to know Jesus, the Son of God, from the words of Jesus himself. And that's why the chapter ends this way for Luke 4. And let me read the closing verses. Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now friends, this is merely the beginning of the ministry and the start, but I just want to set us in tune for the weeks to come, that there will be a lot that we will have to deal with, with our own hearts when Jesus began to speak. But dear friends, will Jesus in coming for us lose his way? And John, uh, Luke wants to tell us in Luke 4, that he does not lose his way, he will not lose his way, and he will arrive at the cross. And that's what we need. So as the question comes to us in our close, here's the question, have we lost our way? Are you someone who thinks that you have lost your way in the moral and spiritual woods? Now here's one of the surprising things. You, you can think about it and tell me whether you agree or not. Every generation, we get smarter and better. Everything gets improved and we're more sophisticated than ever than the previous generation and we keep getting better. But of all the generation, there is not a single generation who got better morally than the previous. We are able to do great stuff. But the question is, are we lost? The Bible tells us we are. The question is, are we are we able to find the objective identity and purpose? Or is it all subjective? We're going to think of it more in the coming weeks as Jesus began to speak to the crowd. But Luke wants us to know in this passage, the great reversal has arrived. But Jesus, the Son of God, has come. So the question is, how will we respond to him? Well, it depends on whether we think we are lost. As we close this time, let me pray for us and may the Lord help us in the coming weeks that we actually get to hear more in Jesus' ministry because today is his beginning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that Jesus stood the test where all other sons of God fails and where all of us fail. But in the world where perfect moral compass do not exist. 
where eternal life is beyond our grabs, where the ability to come to you is beyond our reach. We thank you Jesus came and he baptized himself to be identified with us so that we can be baptized in him and to be set right with you. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us not just to know your word, but that our hearts will turn because it is the word of Jesus and the word of scriptures that will reveal what is in our hearts. And we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts so that we can respond to you. In Jesus' name, we pray for your glory. Amen. Oh, yes, there are two reflection questions for just a few minutes if you like to just chat with people around you or you can meditate on the questions. And if you are Zoom, you can discuss just for a few minutes and Ashley is going to come back. The first question is, how does Jesus, being the Messianic Son of God, give us confidence and hope for the future? And how should the manifesto or the mission of Jesus actually shape the ministry of the church? Right, big questions, but just a few minutes, have a go at it, and uh, Ashley will come back to lead us. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, Visit us online at busypc.sg